This activity is truly unproductive. Choo Choo Charlie was his name we hear. You ate it, Ralph. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude, and we're back with more stories this week. This week we're talking about grocery shopping. I know, right? Grocery shopping? You have stories about grocery shopping? Yeah, I have stories about everything. And grocery shopping is just one of the many topics that was really important to me as a kid, and I'll tell you why. When I was a kid, grocery shopping was a thing that we did as a family. Now, not all of the time. When we were in school, we didn't shop as a family. And when I say as a family, it was mom and the kids, because dad was at work. But mom had grocery shopping day, and when it was time to go grocery shopping, she packed all three kids in the car, and it was a thing that we did. Now, grocery shopping day was usually Tuesday. That's the day that I remember going out grocery shopping. I do remember she had to change it at one point. I don't remember why, but she would always go back to Tuesday as grocery shopping day. There was a reason for it, but it's lost to the vagaries of time. I don't remember why she did Tuesdays. It's just that Tuesday was shopping day. Now, going to the grocery store as a kid is, it's a nightmare. It really is, because you have to walk up and down the aisles, and you have to go through all the boring stuff, the cosmetics, and the meat, and all the boring cheese, and it was just a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. Now, of course, I'm talking about from the kid's perspective. From my mom's perspective, it was probably even more of a nightmare, because picture this. Young mother, three kids all under the age of six years old, having to go to the grocery store. Can you imagine that? That would be like herding cats in a hurricane. I don't know how she did it, but she was able to do it. But it wasn't just going up and down the aisles. And I didn't realize this until years later, what was going on. But my mom kept a budget because we had to. As I've said many times before, we didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was growing up. So mom had a very limited shopping budget. I didn't know it, but she did. And so she had to keep track of every nickel that she spent when we went shopping. There wasn't a lot of money for extras. There wasn't a lot of money for frills and bells and whistles and all the little stuff that we take for granted these days. Oh, would you like that granola bar? Sure, throw that in. Oh, a bag of lollipops? Sure, throw that in. Now, mom had a very strict shopping list and a very strict budget. And so she was a good price shopper and she showed me how to price shop. And I learned about coupons, too. She was a coupon clipper. Now, Mom was not one of those crazy coupon cutters. She didn't have hundreds of dollars worth of coupons. I don't even know if it was possible back when I was a kid to have that much savings in coupons. But what she did have to do was keep track of every nickel. And she had what I always called the clicker. Now, I've put a link up in the description to the episode of what the clicker looks like. In case you don't know what a clicker is... The clicker was a little handheld mechanical counter that was divided into pennies, dimes, and dollars. And if you clicked on the penny button, it had three buttons on it. And if you clicked on the penny button, you'd click five times for a nickel, ten times for a dime, or you could just click once on the dime slot. And it would be click, 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 click. Every time you hit it, you'd hear a click. And so for every single item that mom bought... She would click the price into her clicker. And that's how she would keep track of how much she spent. And don't forget, this is the days before you had an app for a phone. You didn't even have a phone you were taking with you. 
But this is also the days before you had anything like a pocket calculator. There wasn't an electronic device where she could just punch in $1.98 or 57 cents for a can of beans or whatever it was. If you wanted to keep track of what you were spending, you could either take a notebook with you and write everything down and then add it up as you went along, or they had this little clicker that automatically just added things up. So if you'd click 10 cents, then you'd click 5 cents, then you'd click 7 more cents. If you just kept hitting that penny clicker, you'd have 22 cents. It would just automatically roll over. Every 10 clicks would roll over a dime. Every 100 clicks would roll over a dollar. And mom would have that thing in her left hand and click it away. Click, 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 click. And everything she put in the cart, click, 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 click. Can of corn, 33 cents. Click, 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 click. Three dimes, three pennies. Another can of corn, 33 cents. Click, 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 click. Pound of ground beef, 57 cents. Click, 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 click. And it would add everything up. And that's how she kept track of what she was spending. Now, we didn't know as kids what she was doing. But that clicker, if we left the house without that clicker, we had to go back and get it because she had to keep track. She had to stay within budget. And this is how she did it. And so we would go up and down the aisles as a family, herding the cats through the hurricane as we walked up and down the aisles, trying to get quickly through the candy aisle and the cereal aisle. So that we kids wouldn't be, oh, mom, can we get some candy? Oh, mom, some Captain Crunch. They do that on purpose, by the way. They design those aisles so that the kids are all whining in the same spot and the parents are going to have to break down and do something. Okay, here's a box of Lucky Charms for the love of God to leave. Shut up. But when we were kids, parents didn't give in the way they do now. When we were kids, if mom said, there'll be no Lucky Charms today, we just can't afford it this week. Then we said, okay. There was no whining There was no having a fit. There was no throwing ourselves on the floor, ranting and raving, I want my Lucky Charms. If mom said no, we can't get Lucky Charms this week, guess what? We didn't get Lucky Charms this week. And we knew enough not to ask for candy. We weren't buying any candy. No. Even in the checkout lines, you know how they have those racks there with the gum and the candy bars and all the little things that might appeal to kids? We knew enough not to look because we were not getting them. It was not going to happen. But going up and down the aisles with my mom as a kid, I saw what she did and I learned how she shopped and she would comparison shop. And I learned how important that is. And I also learned that most of the time, there's not a difference between what I like to call the house brand or the generic brand of a product and the national brand, except price. I mean, there's not a huge difference between a can of ShopRite corn and a can of Del Monte corn, except the Del Monte corn is 20 cents higher. And you know what? You put a can of ShopRite corn in a pan on the stove, warm it up, throw some butter in it. Can't tell the difference between that and Del Monte at all. But I also learned that sometimes it is worth it to buy a national brand depending on what the product is. For instance, peanut butter. There's a huge difference in taste between ShopRite's peanut butter and Jif's peanut butter or Skippy peanut butter or even Peter Pan peanut butter. And I learned that over the years, too. Mom would not buy the cheap knockoff brand of peanut butter because there was a definite difference in taste. Not so with vegetables, more so with peanut butter. But she learned that by trial and error. And so that's one of the things that I picked up. But the thing that was most important to me was the comparison shopping. Look for the sales. Look for the specials. Because you do save significant amounts of money if you're aware of what products you need and what the prices are. 
And so I was taught, even though it wasn't an actual lesson with mom sitting down and saying, okay, this is how you shop. Just by going with her and watching, I learned how to do this. And I learned what it meant to do it. And I learned why we did it. And so when my kids were small, I would bring them to the supermarket with me. I didn't school them on how to shop. I just had them there for the process because it worked for me. So I figured by osmosis, it would work for them too. And it kind of has. But I took those shopping skills with me to school when I went away. When I went away to college, I knew that I was going to have to buy stuff for myself. I mean, I had a food plan at the university and I was able to go to the cafeteria and eat some meals, but I knew that I wanted to eat some meals on my own. I wanted to make my own sandwiches. I wanted to have my own snacks, have my own drinks. So I had to take these shopping skills and apply them on my own for the first time as an 18-year-old freshman in school. And so pulling a page from my mother's book, I had a shopping day. Now, since I was in school, I couldn't really go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So Friday afternoon was my shopping day. I didn't realize that everybody goes on Friday afternoons. It was just the day that I had available. And the guys in the dorm that I lived with learned that A, I had a car and B, I went to the supermarket on Fridays. So we actually formed a group and we all went shopping together on Friday afternoons. Now, by the time I got to college, they actually had calculators. But I thought of getting my own little red clicker like mom had but I thought I'd really look a little too nerdy if I did that. What I wound up doing was keeping track in my head of what I bought rather than click it into a little red clicker or add it up on a notepad or have a little calculator with me. I just kept track. I would add it together in my head and keep a running tally of what my amount was before I checked out. Why? Because I, like my mother, I had a budget. I knew how much I could spend each week on snacks and groceries, and so that's what I budgeted for. And if I was getting close to that number, then I had to start thinking about, well, do I really need those Doritos? I'd rather have a little jelly on the sandwiches this week than Doritos one time. Because yes, in college, you do scarf through a whole bag of Doritos in one sitting. But it became a thing in my dorm. Everybody would want seats in my car. This is when I had the big Plymouth Fury that I've talked about in the past. We had room for six people and the trunk on that car was so big, we could probably fit six bodies in there as well. Kroger supermarkets in Ohio, that was where we went shopping. And when I first started going to Kroger, I discovered something in the Midwest that we didn't have on the East Coast, not when I was growing up. Kroger had sample day. We discovered that Friday was sample day at Kroger. What does that mean? Well, you guys probably know now. It seems like every supermarket everywhere has sample day. They have somebody in front of the deli counter with slices of pepperoni. Somebody else in front of the counter with slices of cheese. You go down the aisle and they're test cooking some new pierogi recipe. You go further down the aisle and somebody's test cooking some frozen pizza recipe. I had never seen anything like this before until I got to Ohio and started shopping on my own. Now, the guys that I went shopping with, they were familiar with this. So it must have been a practice that was ongoing in Ohio that I had never heard about. But this was glorious. Imagine six hungry college freshmen wandering through the aisles of a supermarket, and they're giving out free cheese, free pepperoni, free nibbles of pizza, free nibbles of mozzarella sticks. We would plan our shopping trip, and that would be dinner. They also had something in Ohio that I had never heard of before. They had double coupon days. There were certain days that you could go to Kroger, and if you had a 50-cent coupon, they would double it. So if you were buying a box of cereal that was a buck, 
and you had a 25 cent coupon on double coupon day, that box was 50 cents. My mom had taught me about coupons, but this was next level couponing. Double coupons? Ooh. So as a college student on a limited budget, I started learning how to collect coupons and where to keep them and how to use them and how to take advantage of double coupon day. Oh, I was so nerdy. I even had a coupon keeper. Have you ever seen those? The one that I had was made of a combination of cardboard and cotton. It had a cotton cover holding together cardboard slots. And each of the slots was for a letter of the alphabet. So there were 26 slots in this thick wallet. And it allowed you to cut your coupons and put them in alphabetical order. So I'd have my nerdy little coupon keeper with all my coupons organized carefully. So when I got to the supermarket, I could pull out my nerdy little coupon keeper, thumb through my coupons, find the ones that I needed, and proudly march to the checkout line. Well, I have $17 worth of savings here. Thank you very much. My $50 shopping trip would cost me 33 bucks, and I'd have enough money left over for gas and a trip to McDonald's. It was awesome. One of the other things that my mom taught me about shopping and that I used when I got to Ohio and that I still do today is going to the deli counter when you wanted cold cuts and ordering them fresh and exactly the way you wanted them. I didn't really know that was a thing you could do until my mom showed me you could do that. Because how many people these days go up to the deli counter and say, yeah, give me a half a pound of ham, and the butcher just grabs ham and starts slicing it? My mom didn't say, give me a half a pound of ham, and then just turn her back. Oh, 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 no. First of all, she would peruse the meat counter. She would go through and see what was on sale. Was ham on sale? Yes, some ham was on sale. There are 94 different varieties of ham. Even when I was a kid, there was 94 different varieties of ham. There was honey-baked ham. There was smoked ham. There was Virginia ham. There was imported ham. Those are just the four that I come up with off the top of my head. So mom would see which ham was on sale. Then she'd go to the butcher and she'd say, Um, excuse me, could I see the one you're cutting from, please? I didn't realize that they had different hunks of ham that they would cut from. But the butcher knows what he's back there for. He would reach down and pull up the ham that he was cutting from. Oh, that one's a little fatty. Do you have another one open? Mom knew they had other packages open. Yeah, she did. Okay, that one looks okay. I'll take a half a pound of that ham, but slice it paper thin, please. Slice it paper thin? I didn't know you could do that. But sure enough, the butcher would take the ham that Mom selected and adjust his meat slicer so that the slices would come out paper thin. And not only did he make the adjustment, but he would take a slice of the meat and then bring it over to my mom and show it to her to make sure that it passed muster. And mom would look at the slice of ham. Yes, okay, that'll do. The other thing that I discovered is the butcher would take a look at the fact that she had three little kids there and offer her the slice that he just cut to shut us up. He would give her the slice, it would be our sample, and she would rip it into three pieces and give us all a sample of the ham. This was as close as we came to samples when I was a kid, but the butcher would cut us off samples of the ham to show my mom how he was slicing it, and she would approve or disapprove because she would say, oh, a little thinner, please, and he would check it again, and she would say, okay, that's fine, and then he'd slice a half a pound of ham. My mom never asked for anything thick-sliced, but she would always ask for thin-sliced 
But I have heard since then, I've heard people ask for thick slices of ham or thick slices of turkey, and the butchers adjust it. So if you didn't know you could do this, you can do this. Next time you go to the deli counter and you want thin sliced ham, ask him for it and he'll do it. So I took that knowledge to Kroger when I was in college. And when I was ordering cold cuts for myself, I would go to the butcher. Now here I am, some 18-year-old fresh-faced freshman standing at the butcher counter waiting for my number to be called. And the butcher would come up and say, all right, what do you want, kid? Well, I'd like a pound of Virginia ham, sliced thin, please. And the first few times that I asked for that, the butcher almost did a double take. Like, you know what you're talking about, kid? But sure enough, if I asked them to show me the ham they were cutting from, they'd show me the ham they're cutting from. And when I asked them to slice it thin, they'd show me the thin slices before they put them in the package. And I thanked mom for that because thin ham stretches further than thick ham. And also, in my opinion, tastes better on a sandwich. The other thing I discovered from my mom at the butcher is if you have a butcher in your supermarket... We had dogs as kids, so she would ask the butcher if he had any bones so that we could give them to the dog. And sure enough, we got bones for the dog from the butcher simply by asking. The other place that I discovered in the supermarket, which I still use to this day, is the scratch and dent section. You know those cans where they fall off the top shelves and get a dent? When I was a kid, they would discount those cans by 20 to 50%. And then, of course, there was the day-old section for the baked goods. Now, back when I was a kid, there was not a lot of choices in bread. Wheat bread was not anything I had ever heard of until I went to school. When I was growing up, it was white bread. We had choices of white bread. We had ShopRite white bread. We had Sunbeam white bread. And we had the granddaddy of them all, Wonder Bread. Wonder Bread was the bread. I don't know why. I think it's the power of advertising. They had that white wrapper and little red and blue circles on it. And it just looked like a wonderful product. Wonder Bread. The wonder is right there in the name of the product, Wonder Bread. We never got it. It was about twice as expensive as the ShopRite brand, and ShopRite always put their loaves on sale. It was something like three loaves for a dollar when I was a kid. Certain prices I remember, bread, three loaves for a dollar, that was pretty standard, but only for the local brand. If you wanted Sunbeam, which was another local bakery, you paid a little more for it. If you wanted Wonder Bread, it was a dollar a loaf. And I understood my mom's thinking, well, I can get three loaves of ShopRite bread or one loaf of Wonder Bread for the same dollar. It was a no-brainer. We never had Wonder Bread. (laughs) It just wasn't in the budget. And then things like wheat bread or rye bread or pumpernickel, those were like specialty items. Those were fancy. We never had anything like that in the house. It was just too expensive. Nowadays, you can still find white bread everywhere. But people have recognized that the processed white bread is probably not the best bread there is for you. It's still the cheapest bread out there. But these days, I like the flavor of wheat bread, rye bread, whole grain breads, honey wheat. I buy everything but white because I like the flavor of it a whole lot better. But when I was a kid, it was three loaves of the white bread for a dollar. But if you went to the day old section, which is what we did a lot, You could get five or sometimes six loaves for a dollar. And then you'd throw a couple in the fridge, one in the freezer, and then it would last for a long time. At least two weeks, which is all you need with a family of five. We also had a bakery outlet near us run by Pepperidge Farms. Now, Pepperidge Farms is another one of those high-end bread names, at least where I was growing up. And their products were always ridiculously expensive, unless you went to the outlet. 
Now, this is an outlet in the true sense of the word. This isn't an outlet in name only where they sell you the same stuff for the same prices. This was an outlet where the trucks would bring in the old product from stores that were on their expiration date or even past it, throw them on the shelves, and you could go into the outlet and buy the day old or the day past the expiration date product for 50% off or 75% off the retail price. So you could get a loaf of Pepperidge Farm rye bread for 50 cents. So every once in a while, we'd be able to do that. They had little dessert-type cakes that we would get there at the outlet because we couldn't afford them at the store. And so I took that knowledge to Ohio with me, too. I was very disappointed to find no bakery outlets in Ohio, at least where I was. But every time I went home, we always hit the Pepperidge Farm outlet and loaded up on all the goodies we couldn't otherwise get. The one other thing I remember about shopping, both as a kid and when I was in college, is the bag situation. I just wanted to talk about that just for a second here as we wrap things up. When I was a kid, the only bag there was was a paper bag. It was those brown paper bags. You opened it up. It had the square bottom. You'd put your products in it. You'd load up your car with these paper bags. There was no such thing as a plastic bag. Those plastic bags that are ubiquitous everywhere, that everybody's now worried about banning, that everybody's worried about ruining the environment... They did not exist when I was a kid. And there was a huge movement in the 70s and the 80s. Well, we're going to make the switch over to plastic bags because it'll be better for the environment. We'll be saving trees. We'll be saving paper. And so they started phasing out the use of paper bags in grocery stores and in drug stores and liquor stores and pretty much everywhere because the plastic bags were so much better. And now look at us. Now where are we? everybody's complaining about the plastic bags. Oh, the plastic bags are so bad for the environment. 40 years ago, plastic bags were like the second coming. Plastic bags were going to save us all from ruining the forests and wasting our resources. I've never done the research, but I'm sure there was a huge lobbying industry. The plastic bag manufacturers of America back in the 70s and 80s who were advocating for the plastic and against the paper. And now where are we? Now, we're not advocating for plastic bags or paper bags. Now you have to bring your own bags to the store. And now they're trying to sell you these cloth bags or these canvas bags or these plastic reusable bags because that's better for the environment. It's such a racket. It really annoys me. These days what I like to do is go into the supermarket and ask them, here's what I want. Put a paper bag inside a plastic bag and put my groceries in that. That way I get the best of both worlds. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. At least it'll give you something to think about next time you're at the supermarket, right? Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate you spending your time with me. Until next time, you take care of yourself. And I'll see you when I see you.